When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Slam and Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. You can go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get The Athletic for a discounted rate. Boy, it's been another fun week of basketball. We have the in-season tournament games again tonight. New courts, new jerseys, new rivalries, maybe. Maybe there are going to be some, some group rivalries from this. I don't know. But Alex, tell me what happened in the NBA this week. Well, Andrew, it all started last Friday night after days of intense debate about the color of basketball courts. It was time to tip off the in-season tournament. And what a first night it was. Of the seven games on the schedule, five ended up in clutch time. Three came down to the final shot. And the highlight of the night might have been the game in Oklahoma City, where Steph Curry went head-to-head against Lugans Dort, who led the Thunder with 29 points while SGA sat out with a knee sprain. Steph put up 38-7, and capping off the night with a floater over Chet Holmgren with .2 seconds left, a shot shrouded in controversy. After a basket interference call on Draymond was reversed after a lengthy review, the call appears to have been correct, however, according to people who spent their Friday night reading the NBA rulebook. While Chet couldn't stop Curry on the final play, it was a coming out party for him as he finished with 24-8-5 for the season. Chet, as a rookie, is averaging 17 and 8 with two and a half assists and two and a half blocks. He is doing all that on 58, 56, 90 shooting. On Saturday, it was another win for America's team, the Philadelphia 76ers. The Sixers, led by their big three of Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, and Kelly Oubre Jr., beat KD and the Suns 112 to 100 in Philly. After an impressive win later in the week over Boston, Philly now sits atop the Eastern Conference, having won a league-best six games in a row. Through seven games, Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey are both averaging over 25 points per game. If that somehow continued for the rest of the season, it would be the first time in Sixers franchise history that two teammates scored at least 25 per game. For the Suns, they bounce back to 500 with wins over Detroit and Chicago later in the week, buoyed by the return of Bradley Beal, who played his first game for Phoenix on Wednesday. On Sunday, the Wemby Tour made a stop back in San Antonio for a game against the Toronto Raptors. While Wemby had 29-4 with five blocks, very impressive, it was Scotty Barnes's night who led the Raps back from a 22-point deficit in the first half to win 123-116 in overtime. Barnes scored 17 of his 30 points in the fourth quarter and finished with 30-11-6 with three steals, three blocks, and five three-pointers. So, that is so dumb. <laughs> incredibly close to a 5x5. Five five. I feel like we've been we've been getting so close to a 5x5. Five oh, five. we've been teased. We've been so, teased. So teased. Uh, for the season, Scotty Barnes averaging 22-10-6, two blocks and two threes per game, 49-38-76 shooting splits. The Raps are 4-4 four four with a juicy matchup against Boston this Saturday. On Monday, it was arguably the biggest statement of the season thus far. A few days after their dominant win over Denver, the Minnesota Timberwolves, sporting the league's number one defense by a mile, 
beat the previously undefeated Boston Celtics 114-109 to in overtime. The Celtics, who had the league's best offense coming into the game, were held to 39% shooting while committing a season-high 18 turnovers. Anthony Edward was the star of the show, outscoring Jason Tatum 38-32 to while also chipping in nine rebounds and seven assists. And while we're celebrating the Wolves in their top-ranked defense, how about a little love for old Rudy Gobert, who so far appears to be having a bounce-back season. The blocks are back. The rim defense is elite. And for the first time in a while, Wolves fans can listen to national podcasts without fear of the Gobert trade being mentioned every single time. Wolves. <laughs> On Tuesday, there were no NBA games. Luckily, Wednesday was there to save us with 28 of the 30 teams in action. After being outscored by 14 in the fourth quarter against the Knicks in a loss on Monday night, James Harden was back for game two as a Los Angeles Clipper. He's still a Clipper. This time, the opponent was one of Harden's former teams, the Brooklyn Nets. Now, the Nets lost their offensive star Cam Thomas to a sprained ankle during the game and so turned their attention to the defensive end where they held a team starting Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden to 93 total points and under 40% from the field. Yes, 100 to 93 loss. Clippers star Paul George said, quote, you have to understand that it's new. As much as we look good on paper, we have to work as a team. We're a new team, a new group. We understand what we have talent-wise. That's the obvious, but we're patient. We're going to get it right. It's too early. Um, actually, hold on a second. Uh, oh, sorry, Andrew. Uh, this is really embarrassing. That that actually wasn't what Paul George said after the Clippers loss on Wednesday. I got my quotes screwed up. That that was actually what he said in November 2017 after the Rush PG Mello Thunder team started eight and nine. Sorry. About <laughs> from Wednesday night again. I apologize. Oh no. Worried about oh, this. No. We want to win these games. These are the games we feel we should win, but it's early in the season. We got too much star power here. We got too many great players here for it not to work and not figure it out. Totally different vibes. He's right. How could this not work? Uh, finally, on Thursday night, Indiana Pacers got an impressive 126 to 124 win over the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks were without Damian Lillard, who sat with a calf injury. Giannis Antetokounmpo picked up the slack by scoring a season high for the league, 54 points in the game, yeah. but committed two costly turnovers in the final minute after Tyrese Halliburton hit a go-ahead three with 90 seconds left. The Pacers are now 6-3 and three with the number one offense in the league per cleaning glass and the 25th ranked defense, but who cares? They're fun. And Tyrese Halliburton has started the season averaging 24-4-12, rounding up through his first seven games. What a week it was! Andrew. What a week indeed. Out there's been so much good basketball. And because of that, there's a lot of players that aren't getting as much shine as they deserve. And so I thought I could just go through four players that I think deserve a little bit more shine and maybe just shed some light as to why. So, first one, Michael Porter Jr., who plays for the Denver Nuggets. It's it's all about obviously Nikola Jokic and it should be because he is like everything that makes his team go. Even even like some of the rookies and the young guys are getting a lot of shine, Aaron Gordon, but I just don't hear a lot of people talking about MPJ. He's been really good for them. 16 points, 8 boards, 2 assists per game, career high in both assists and rebounds so far this season. He's been really good on the boards and also really good as a defender. There was a ton of possessions where he was guarding Luka in the in-season tournament game last Friday. And I think the Nuggets feel comfortable with that. They were hunting that switch. Oftentimes, the Mavericks were. And he played him so 
well. Uh, Aaron Gordon, after the game, said teams are going to be able to isolate. Teams aren't going to be able to isolate him like that. And if they do, it's going to be a bad look. It's going to be a bad shot. He's 6'10". He's athletic. He has a long wingspan. So it's not an easy score. And then Michael Malone, after the game, also said what Michael is doing is showing that he cares. He also commented that nobody's going to be perfect on defense. MPJ is showing that he cares on the defensive end, which is kind of what he's always needed to do. He's very athletic. He's got like he's a giant. And Aaron Gordon mentioned it. He's six foot ten, long arms. All he had to really do was care and like show some effort on Luca, and it made his life really difficult. So a lot of people with the Nuggets like to focus on Jokic, but I think MPJ's leap is coming, and he hasn't even shot the ball all that well yet. I think mm-hmm. he's going to shoot the ball better. And if you add the defense, the passing, he's been a, a monster on the boards from the wing. I think that his season is pretty underrated so far. And I think that he deserves a little bit more shine than he's gotten. How much credit do you give to uh, Calvin Booth for his uh, offseason comments in the preseason to the ringer? You know, some some mind games. Hey, has, has he has he created this defensive beast? Yeah, Calvin Booth has been pushing a lot of buttons over the last couple of years yes. for the Nuggets, and they and like almost pushing all the right of them ones. Have, almost all of them have worked. So yes, I will give credit where credit's due to Calvin Booth. Uh, next one, I just want to highlight Chet Holmgren real quick. He's been unbelievable for the Thunder. You mentioned it: sixteen point eight points per game, seven point nine boards, two point six assists, a steal, two and a half blocks, 57, 55, 90 shooting splits. The shooting has been ridiculous. That's the thing that has opened up a ton of things for the Thunder is that he is a real shooter and teams have to guard him. And it opens so much up for Shea and Giddy and for, for J-Dub. But he's 87th percentile as a pick and roll man so far this season. 1.44 points per possession when he is pick and, pick and roll roll man. He's been so good. And then in transition, he's an absolute monster. Because he runs the floor well. He can handle in transition. He had a really crazy behind-the-back pass to Kaysen Wallace the other night. 1.45 points per possession. 92nd percentile in transition. This team is going to play fast. They're going to get up and down the court. His blocks are leading to transition points against the Hawks. He had three blocks that led to seven points for the Thunder. He is, he's been amazing. And a lot of it's overshadowed because of a lot of the Wimby Yama talk, but I think there's room to talk about both. And it's not me saying like, we should talk about Chet over Wimby. It's not that obviously we should talk about Victor Wimby Yama. Everybody is, but I think there's room enough to talk about Chet too. Who's been amazing. And they have a matchup Tuesday night in Oklahoma city should be a very, very fun matchup. But yeah, Chet has been outstanding so far for the thunder, probably more than you could have asked for from Chet so far. Hey, and we'll be there, Andrew next Tuesday. We'll night. be there. You and in I? person, down to dunk night. Yep. And if you want more Thunder content, go listen to Down to Dunk. <laughs> um, next, Scotty Barnes. Holy smokes. He's been so good. 21.5 points per game, 10 boards, 6 assists, 1.5 steals, 2.1 blocks per game. Crazy. And the thing that I wouldn't want to highlight is that he is becoming more of an offensive hub for the Raptors. Last season... He was in the 30th percentile as a pick-and-roll ball handler. 0.73 points per possession. It's not good. In fact, people were just crying all season. Scotty Barnes isn't a point guard. Why are they doing this? What are the Raptors doing with him? They're ruining Scotty Barnes. This season, 
He's in the 79th percentile as a pick-and-roll ball handler. It's working. He's averaging six assists per game. Obviously a career high. He's been outstanding. And I just, just want to just point out that sometimes whenever you put players in position to do things that are a little awkward and don't look good, it can be for reasons like this, where I think it was very intentional that they put Scotty Barnes in uncomfortable positions as a playmaker last year so that he can learn and become a better player. And he did that. And I, and I link this to what we talked about with Sohan last week. I think the Spurs are doing the right thing. Not that Jeremy Sohan is going to come out and average 21, 10, and 6 next year. But I do think that putting players in positions to grow, like they did with Barnes last year, can really help. And Barnes is off to just a ridiculous start to his season. He's been yeah. It's, I, I went back. We did our offseason pod where we were drafting guys based on who we thought was going to make their first All-Star game. And so mm-hmm. I just went back to that to see where, because I couldn't remember where we picked Scotty Barnes. He was the last pick. We came up wow. with nine other names before we got to Scotty Barnes. And now yeah. it seems it, it seems so obvious in retrospect, because like we knew going into the season, okay, they don't have Fred Van Vliet anymore. Yeah. They're expecting him to get a heavier offensive load, which he has gotten. He's just far exceeded any expectation. Like even if you were high on Scotty going into the season, mm-hmm. he has exceeded those expectations. Yeah, he's been a blast to watch. Yeah. Last one, Shaden Sharp for the Blazers. He's up to 19 points per game from nine last year. Obviously, it's because of like the shot attempts. He's like almost doubled his shot attempts. He's also uh, playing 39 minutes a game. He's playing a lot, but it's not even the points to me. It's him using his athleticism to make like winning plays. That block on Luke Kennard to send the, the, the game to overtime last Friday night was unbelievable. I mean, he had to come from pretty far away to block that corner three. That's just such a tough shot to block, but his athleticism is just through the roof. And then in the overtime, game's locked at 106-106. He hits a step-back three that really is kind of the dagger of the game. I mean, he was awesome. He was attacking Triple J during that game. He was fearless. He looks pretty good as a passer, too. He was not really that at all last year. And he's... You can tell the game is slowing down for him because he can navigate screens well. He's a he's becoming a better passer. I think this experience for him, where he kind of gets to be the man, is going to be a huge blessing in disguise for the Blazers as they go through this season. It's they're not going to win a lot of games, and that's okay. But if you can get Shaden Sharp valuable minutes running the offense and becoming a better decision maker. It's going to pay huge dividends for the Blazers in the future. So shout out to Shaden Sharp. He's he's had a really fun season so far. I think back to when we were going through the surprise teams and how much of our attention when we got to the Blazers was about all these vets they had. I think it's a great sign for Blazers fans that like we're at this part of the season we're talking about Shaden Sharp instead of talking about, you know, like Jeremy Grant or, you know, Malcolm Brogdon. It's awesome that we're talking about Shaden Sharp, that he's having that much of a jump already in the season. And obviously the the injury to Simons helps out a bit because that freed up some usage for him. Um, But he's really stepped up. Yep. Um, All right, Andrew, uh, I want to talk about the Houston Rockets because I I don't know what to think about this team. You know, they they start off the season with a 30-point loss in Orlando, and I'm thinking, same old Rockets, these guys. All those off-season moves just to be garbage again. 
And then they yeah. drop their next two to the Spurs and Warriors. And at this point, I'm on Tankathon. You know, I'm seeing if OKC can land the uh, top five protected Rockets pick right at pick number five. <laughs> That's what I was doing. I was excited. But then they win their next three. And I start to take a little notice because even though the opponents weren't great, it was Charlotte and then two wins over the Kings without De'Aaron Fox. All of those games were at home. I'm starting to notice that the underlying stats are really popping for Houston. But I say to myself, I say, look at this upcoming schedule. It's brutal. Starting with the Lakers game on Wednesday, now the real Rockets will reveal themselves and I can happily go back to clicking the button on Tankathon. But they win. 128 to 94. They destroy the Lakers. Like Killed even if them. you think that this schedule has been easy, like they've been destroying these teams. So now mm-hmm. I'm starting to get a little intrigued because the numbers are starting to look insane. Are the Houston yeah. Rockets sending early season signals that they've got more juice than I thought? Or is some of this smoke and mirrors? So today we are going to decide, Andrew. I'm going to go through some of these eye-popping stats with you. And then as a okay. counterbalance, I'll bring up some things that may be boosting their numbers a little bit. Okay, so let's start with this. There are currently four teams who are top 10 in both offensive and defensive efficiency per cleaning the glass. It is Boston, Denver, Philly, and Houston. That's right. The Houston Rockets, winners of literally 59 games over the last three seasons, are currently the eighth-ranked offense and seventh-ranked defense. They have the fifth-best point differential behind those three teams I mentioned and Minnesota. You dig in a little deeper, and the numbers are kind of shocking. The Rockets have the second-best half-court offense in the league right now. You know, sometimes with young teams, you assume, oh, they're probably playing fast, getting out and running. They must be doing a lot of their damage in transition. No, not the case here. Houston is putting up 103.1 points per 100 possessions in the half court, which is about as good as Boston was in the half court last season when they won 57 games. And for comparison, this Houston team put up 90.7 points per 100 possessions in the half court last season, (laughs) which was dead last in the league. It gets crazier, though. Their starting lineup. So Fred Van Leek, Jalen Green, Dylan Brooks, Jabari Smith, and Alpern Shingoon, they played 240 possessions together so far, which is actually more than every other five-man unit except for Denver starters, who they will pass soon because of Jamal Murray's yep. injury. In those 240 possessions, the Rockets' starting lineup has a plus 19.6 differential. Now, for some context, Denver's starting lineup last season was a plus 12.7. Now, it's obviously incredibly early in the season, but Houston's starting lineup has been killing teams. And what's been surprising to me is it's been on both ends. You know, a couple weeks ago, I made a bold prediction that Houston would finish in the top half for defensive efficiency. A prediction that I was basing on the idea that everyone other than Jalen Green and Shingun should be solid defensively, and Ime Udoka is a good defensive coach. But the starting lineup, which includes those two players I was trying to ignore in my prediction, have held teams to 101.7 points per 100 possessions, which is an absurd number. Even for an eight-game stretch, it's absurd, especially considering yep. who is involved. And I wanted to mention Shangun specifically because you know he's gotten this reputation as a bad defender, someone you can target in the pick and roll. That hasn't been the case early on in the season. The Rockets mm-hmm. have been significantly better defensively when Shangun has been on the court. Kelly Eco yep. had a nice write-up about Shangun's defense and how the team is both putting him in a position to succeed this year and also how he's feeding off of guys like Fred, Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks. And, you know, I was watching the Lakers game, and it's not like, you know, he's Rudy Gobert all of a sudden. Like, you can still see the sure. limitations. Like, he still barely gets off the crown when he's trying to uh, block some of these attempts at the rim. 
you know, you can still beat him off the dribble if, if, if a s- small guard has, you know, a lot of juice behind him. And those long-term questions about how his defense will hold up in the playoffs, that's likely going to continue until we see it. But for right mm-hmm. now, like, who cares? We're talking about a team who was truly awful defensively for three years, finally yep. finding a, rim in, a rhythm defensively, and they're finding that rhythm with the players everyone was worried about being on the court. That feels significant to me. Now, I did mention that there would be some counterbalance to this, and here it is. First off, the schedule. After Sunday's games, the Rockets will be tied with the Pacers for most home games played in the league so far, and that mm-hmm. is about to change. In the next 10 games, they have road games against the Clippers, two with the Lakers, the Nuggets, the Warriors, and the Mavs. They actually yeah. play the Nuggets three times in their next 10 games, and the other Yikes. two games are home games against New Orleans and Memphis. That is quite the stretch. All of those numbers I just mentioned, they're, they're going to come back down to earth a little bit. The question is how much? Like how much of these early season signals are real? Can the Rockets go five and five in that stretch, which would, which I think would be wildly impressive. Even something like four and six would feel like a win for the Rockets. Mm-hmm. The second thing to mention is the Rockets have been beneficiaries of some early season shooting luck. Opponents are currently shooting 24.4% on corner threes against the Rockets, which is kind <laughs> of incredible. Last year, as a comparison, Denver's opponent shot the worst from the corners, 35%. Again, Rockets opponents right now, 24.4% from the corners. That number is going to come up. Meanwhile, on the other end, the Rockets are shooting 39% as a team from three. Dylan Brooks, Jayshon Tate, and Jalen Green are all shooting over 45% from three. And all three of those guys shot under 34% from three last season. Now, they may have all improved, but probably not that much. And you look Mm -hmm. across the roster, everyone who is taking threes is making threes, other than Amen Thompson. So with all that said, I I do think I might believe in Houston, not like as a playoff lock or anything, but I look at the Western Conference right now, and as of today, I feel way better about them than teams like Memphis, Utah, San Antonio, Portland. Like Just based on that, I've already got them in the 11th spot, so they're in play-in range in my head. I continue to believe that their defense is going to be the thing that is real for them this season. Probably not probably definitely not at the level their starting lineup is playing right now because it's ridiculous, but I do think they can be good. The shooting will likely regress at some point, but if they can come out of this season with a defensive identity and be in the play in range, I think that would be a massive success given their last couple seasons. So, you know, let's see how they fare in these next 10. We'll check back and see if the signals were real or if I was bamboozled by some early season uh, smoke and mirrors. Yeah, another potentially positive thing for them is like Tari Eason's been dealing with an injury. Yeah, he was like he had, a, he had a stress reaction, so he's back, and I think he can contribute in a positive way to their defense. Uh, offensively, he's kind of a wild card, but defensively, like he's a really nice player for them. So there's still some positive things to come. I think that they're somewhere in the middle of all of this. You know, I think that they're obviously not top 10 in both offensive and defense, but just to make improvements, like, can we just improve? I think that that's where they're at. Can they make steps toward, like you said, the play in and they don't have to make it. I think making it in the West is going to be really tough. The West is like, honestly, if they just come out of this season, being able to have a functional defense with Jalen Green and Shen Goon in your starting line, that alone would be a huge win because then you feel more positive about them going forward. 
Yeah. Yeah. If they can win like 33 games or something like that and just have a functional defense where you feel that they can take steps forward and work in Amin Thompson a little bit more, then I think they're they're headed down the right path for sure. Uh, speaking of headed down the right path, we're going to talk about the New York Knicks right after this. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Andrew, it is time for the Wheel of Fandom, our weekly segment where we spin a wheel, it lands on a team, and we become fans of that team for the next week. And this week, the wheel landed on the New York Knicks. The Knicks started off the week with a close loss to the Bucks last Friday, a game in which Jalen Brunson scored 45 points, but quickly bounced back with wins over the Clippers in James Harden, James Harden's debut, and the San Antonio Spurs. The Knicks are now 4-4 four and four with the 19th-ranked offense and third-ranked defense per cleaning the glass. Andrew, if the Knicks are our favorite team, who is our guest? Well, we tried to find somebody that covered the Knicks, but all I could find is someone who just loves the Pacers. That's just how he's known. He doesn't, I'm not even sure he writes about the Knicks anymore. I think he just loves the Pacers. Also one of my great friends and just a, just a great dude. And I'm just so glad to have him on our podcast. It's Fred Katz of The Athletic. Fred, what's up, man? If only people could see the Slack channel with you, me, and Sam Amick. <laughs> which is legitimately me having a conversation with myself. It's supposed to be where we talk business for the, you know, Thursday episode of the athletic NBA show where we do. And it's supposed to be that. And it's instead six days of me having conversations with myself about the Pacers. And (laughs) then a day before the pod happens, Amick being like, all right, let's talk about this. Or you being like, let's talk about this. Me responding in all caps, being like, I'll say something about the Pacers. Yep. And I've gone from being very helpful on that podcast, I think, if I don't say so myself, helping sure, outline definitely. it, putting together definitely. many of the segments to yep. honestly just completely ruining 20% of the athletic NBA show. And 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 I'm I'm thrilled about it. And you know what? I'm right. The Pacers are <laughs> so fun. <laughs> they are so fun. Yeah, that, they are. that Bucks game last night was Completely oh. and utterly outrageous. Everything it about so it was fun. absurd. They're yes. even turning Adrian Griffin into a a, a man of two <laughs> technicals in in two seconds. It's beautiful. It's it's uh, everything about the Pacers is completely. Hey, listen, Brett, shut up about the Pacers. We're going to talk about the Knicks, okay? So All let's right. let's talk about Reggie Miller now, and we can really <laughs> tie that into the Knicks. <laughs> can we do a Jamal Tinsley segment? Like, I just want to talk about Jamal Tinsley. Okay, so let's talk about R.J. Barrett. 
who's still only 23. He's off to a great start to his season, averaging 22-3-3, shooting 47% from three. He's making defensive impact. He's a team best plus of 15.6 per, per cleaning the glass. How much are we seeing of like this early RJ that feels sustainable to you? I don't care about the percentages. Okay. I've never really cared about the percentages. Even, or I should say, I've never cared about the percentages when we're only talking about the percentages, right? That's the mm -hmm. thing that people have always fixated on with RJ. It's the efficiency, the three-point shooting, yep. but it's not just the efficiency beyond the arc, right? Like he hasn't been a good finisher around the rim. He hasn't made his jump shots, you know, on short twos or anything like that. He doesn't really dabble with long twos, which is a good thing. But the efficiency has always been a problem. To me, the way the efficiency was going to get better was always if the decision-making got better. He would predetermine stuff. You could tell when he caught a ball, it was like, I am going to drive here or I am going to pass here. And then when he drove, kickouts were not as common. They weren't as crisp. They were often after, after the defense collapsed too late. He didn't really find guys in the wing. He could occasionally find a guy in the corner. So often he'd end up just throwing a shot, just throwing up a shot out of a triple team at the end of a drive and it wouldn't work out well. And I always thought, if he just started to make the intuitive basketball play, the efficiency numbers would rise with it because he would eliminate those off-balance shots out of triple teams. And he would probably be able to create some better looks for himself. Now, I don't think it's going to maintain as this. He's shooting 47% from three. That's ridiculous. He shot 31 yep. last year. I don't think mm -hmm. anybody anticipates he's going to shoot 37 from three or 47 from three. Yeah. Even if he were to plummet from the three-point arc to where he was last year. And he just shot 31% from three for the rest of the year. By the way, free throws at 85 for him is a big deal too. That's something he's working mm. really, really hard on. He's never been mm. over 80. He's had a goal to get up to get over 80 this year. And, and right now he's doing that. That might be real. He came in in preseason. He was telling me like he's going to shoot 80 this year. He feels like an 80% shooter. So maybe that's real. But to me, the big thing is his decision-making is better than it's ever been. There was a play late in the Spurs game on Wednesday night where he got the ball in the corner coming off of a screen and the old RJ would have gone two dribbles to the rim, maybe gotten to a layup, maybe gotten to a contested shot, maybe had to panic and kick to a corner or something. And instead, RJ went one dribble, immediately noticed that a defender was sagging off of uh, quickly on the wing on the other side of the court, flung the ball, across the court to quickly and a fantastic pass who immediately touched past it to Julius Randle in the corner for an open three. That was not a play that he made last year. And it was not a remarkable play with the way that he's been playing so far this year. He, he, he's just been making the right play. He's been smarter. I think he's been much better defensively this year than he was last year. Uh, I, I think, I think we're seeing real improvement from him that just kind of stems on stems from work and institutional knowledge and experience. So on the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, Julius Randle, currently shooting 31.6% uh, from the field. I looked it up on StatHead. The last time Randle had an eight-game stretch in a season shooting this poorly was as a 21-year-old playing his first full season in the NBA. Now, I get that a guy can get cold from three, but how is he shooting 29.4% in the restricted area? Like, how is that even possible? And I know you just posted an article about how he's using Mitchell Robertson's screens to help him break out of this slump. So what is the path forward for Julius? 
so you asked Julius about it and he talks about how crowded the paint is, you know, the Knicks don't really have three point shooting. And he always talks about how he's running into bodies is the way that he puts it. But I don't think that's the reason because they have the exact same starting five they did last year. Mm-hmm. And eight of the nine rotation players they had last year are back. And I'm not buying it. I'm just not buying it. Meanwhile, the only change they made in the rotation was subbing out Obi Toppin and bringing in Dante DiVincenzo who's a better three-point shooter. They had a cramped paint last year. Maybe it's more cramped this year because teams know how they operate and know who they are and know that they can pack the paint against them. But Julius found a way to be all NBA. I'm not buying that as why he's not hitting shots. Look, he's coming off of ankle surgery. I think it would be irresponsible to mention that. He had it over the summer, and he wasn't able to play five-on-five all summer. He wasn't cleared for five-on-five until training camp, and he's a guy who normally, that's how he works out over the summer. He plays a lot of pickup. That's kind of his. Some guys don't play as much pickup. He plays a lot. So I'm sure that messed with his rhythm, and, and I'm not surprised that he started cold. That being said, he started the year through six games. He was 17% in the restricted area. 17% and was shooting 27% from the field and 22% from three. And you know what my take from the Knicks first six games was when, when Julius just, I mean, insane, like 15 plus shots a game and 27% from the field. And it wasn't just that. I mean, like, you know, not really running back on defense and not Mm -hmm. moving the ball as well as he should and all these other things. And my, my, my crazy hot take I feel like I feel like Alex will like this take. My my take is that if Julius Randle were a little better in the first six games, I would have been more pessimistic about his season. <laughs> like he was he was so bad. <laughs> that he just that felt like an anomaly. So, yeah. so inexplicably bad that I'm like, <laughs> this is no one would shoot. 27% on this many shots and the way he did the misses are terrible and the shots are terrible and the way he's operating is terrible. Like he was fantastic last year. He was great. He was all NBA last year. He mm-hmm. was fantastic. And there's just no way, like if he was shooting 34%, I'd be like, oof, cold start for Julius. He's operating more like he did two years ago. This isn't great. But when he was shooting 27, I was like, no, what just this is just fake. I'm just not even <laughs> buying this. This is just a glitch. It's not even real. Like, there's nothing to take there's away a- from this. It's, it's so horrific. <laughs> like, just they'll just change literally everything, and and they've they've tried some new stuff to get him going. And he was good on Monday against the Clippers. He got downhill, going to the rim a bunch. I think he was five for nine at the rim in that game, which is not a phenomenal number, but he was struggling to get to the rim. You know, when I said he was shooting seventeen percent, mm. he was three for eighteen and sixteen in six games that's six times a game or three times a game at the rim i mean that's that's not yeah. julius randall you know and, and maybe that comes back to the ankle uh but it, but he got to the to the rim nine times in that clippers game they're using different actions to spring him there as you mentioned i just wrote about how he's running pick and rolls with mitchell robinson now which is a thing that he never did and that's a way that they're trying to get the opposing big man away from the paint which is allowing julius to get downhill more because he has to come up high with with mitch when mitch sets the screen uh i i I think he'll turn it around. I think he'll be good. But those first six games were like, 
crazy. Everyone's like, the Knicks are two and four. What's up with the Knicks? I'm like, it's it. Whatever is up with the Knicks, like it, the answer is just it's just that Julius Randle is is shooting five for twenty all the time, and yeah, they are yeah. losing a close game to the Bucks, and they're losing a close game to the Cavs, and they're losing a close game to Boston, and if Julius just shoots like thirty five percent in two of those games, now the Knicks are four and two, and now they're six and two, and 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 nobody's saying anything about what's wrong with the Knicks. Yeah, you know? I'm glad you brought up the rim volume because I was watching the Clippers game and I was watching his possessions at the rim and it felt more just like, I think Zubats is just having like a, a good game as a rim defender. Like he blocked him twice. He was affecting a lot of shots. But like you mentioned, like Randall was getting to the rim more in that game. It just felt like every time he got there, Zubats was making a pretty nice play most of the time. So that, that that's interesting. Okay, so early in the season, he wasn't even getting to the rim. You guys should know that. You're like, Long-time diehard Knicks fans, aren't you? Isn't that what the wheel said? <laughs> uh, no, only as of uh, last Friday night. And uh, yes. can I can I make it. a co- can I make a comment on the podcast? Yeah, which I listen to and oh, is great. Always. So, so Alex often says the like the Knicks week started off with a loss to the Bucks on Friday, right? That's right. And I feel like you guys think that even though your podcast is is fantastic as good of an NBA podcast as exists, in my opinion. Mm. I feel like you guys think that your podcast is so good that you can just redefine what a week is. The next week didn't start on a, fr- on a Friday. <laughs> well, when do you start? The week doesn't start on a Friday. You can't, you can't just How constantly say it? that How a week starts <laughs> the next past week. Past the next past week. week could work. Or, or, you can, or you can name it the Slamma Jam week. Something. But you can't say you mm. can't say the next week started mm. started on so Friday. So you you feel like we're infringing on your idea of a week just by bringing I, it up. I and, feel and like making... you're infringing on just anyone's idea. So oh, wow. So, so if we just said no one has ever. Knicks... I can't. I, as a matter of fact, <laughs> if we get back down to it, I can't mm-hmm. think of a day that is less the start of a week than a Friday. Hmm. Like hmm, like if, if I had if I had you rank every single day on what felt the most like the start of the week to least start of the week friday would be number seven and would, would you say that's wrong though because if the, if the week did start on friday that's a great start to your week every week i mean otherwise what are you starting on a monday that's terrible sunday well, scaries you sunday you friday. starts the week there are two acceptable answers to start of their week sunday monday that's it or or whenever the first game after sunday or monday is Three acceptable answers. That's it. That's all you got. So I think Fred's saying Otherwise, that we no, don't have to watch the weekend games. We can just start watching the Slam. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you are offending anybody who thought they knew what a week was. And <laughs> I just, I just needed to clear that up because I just, I just here started their week on Friday, and I, I can't, I can't deal. How lazy are these people who start their weeks on Fridays? They sound My pretty God. cool to me. That sounds awesome. Sounds now that you're saying it, it sounds amazing. Now that you're saying it, this is great. We, it sounds, uh, it sounds it's a, as somebody with a, a horrible and extremely unhealthy work-life balance that is killing my body and my mind in every way imaginable. A week starting on Friday sounds awful. It just sounds terrible. Give me cholesterol problems forever and lack of sleep. <laughs> wow. 
Wow. Uh, let's talk about the Knicks defense, Fred. Uh, Alex mentioned that they're ranked third per cleaning the glass, which makes sense for a Tibbs coach team. But last year, the same team with a very similar roster finished the season ranked 19th in defense. So what's been different on the defensive end for this group early on? Starts with Mitchell Robinson. I, I think if I had to name the two biggest bright spots for this team right now, in some order, one and two would be RJ Barrett and Mitchell Robinson. I mean, they yeah. both seem like they've they've really made a leap forward. And if you're just looking at the box scores, it's easy to tell with Barrett. It's not as easy to tell with Robinson, who is averaging only one block a game, which is not a lot for him, who's averaging six points a game, which even for him is, I think, a career low. He's, at least since he started playing regularly, he is not putting up those kinds of numbers, but my goodness, has he been a beast on the defensive end for pretty much every single game that they've played so far. He's a better, more disciplined pick and roll defender than I've ever seen him as. Uh, when he is on the floor, he just locks down the paint. He's a fabulous rim protector. He's deterring drivers. There was a possession in the Clippers game on Monday where he had to switch onto Kawhi. Kawhi was on the left wing and it was just him and Kawhi. And this is like early season, healthy Kawhi, right? Mm -hmm. And Kawhi tries to go to the rim. It goes right. And he can't get to the rim. Like Mitch just keeps him away from the rim the whole time. So Kawhi just tries to dribble through the paint. And he tries this little off balance turnaround nine footer. And Mitch contests it right in his face. And he airballs it. I'm like, this is a MVP caliber player in his prime. Who's actually healthy that we know of right now. And who's been playing like Kawhi Leonard and, and Mitch is just sticking with these guys now, you know, uh, when he's on the floor, they're a different sort of animal. They are forcing more turnovers than they did last year. You know, Tibbs defenses, not always, but generally are not high turnover defenses, even when they're at their best. And the reason why is because Tibbs believes that kind of great principles come in before you start trying for the turnovers. He believes that the best way to get turnovers is to have excellent ball pressure and then stay in your shell behind that ball pressure. And then when somebody messes up, then you pounce, right? Mm -hmm. And that is happening a lot more this year. The ball pressure has been good. Grimes is good on the wing. Hart is good on the wing. DiVincenzo is feisty. Uh, RJ Barrett's been much better defensively. He was pretty good when he came into the league defensively his first few seasons. And I thought he fell off pretty significantly during the regular season last year on the defensive side. And I think he's recovered what he was before. He's he's been he's been totally solid for them. Uh and 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 Mitch, man, and Hartenstein as well. Like just having that that pain protection for for 48 minutes is is really big for them and has been really helpful. And I don't know if they're gonna stay at in the top three all year, but I do think them being a legitimately good defense is, I would expect that for the rest of the season, especially if Mitch is going to keep playing at this level, because between the way that he's guarding, the way that he rebounds now, I mean, he is right up there with the tier one best rebounders in the NBA at this point, not just on offensive rebounds, because he averages like six and a half defensive rebounds a game six defensive rebounds a game. But Julius Randle vacuums up all the open ones, you know, like his rebounds mm -hmm. are tough 
in traffic, three people around him, tapping it up seven times and recovering it, rebounds. He gets difficult rebounds like all the time. And meanwhile, he is on tracking to become the first on the other side, tracking to become the first player in 26 years to average more than six offensive rebounds a game. Uh, so this this dude, this dude has really become a fantastic player in in his role that you know defensive anchor and screener and roller and diver and offensive rebounder yeah i wanted to ask you about that offensive rebounding because as you mentioned he's averaging over six offensive rebounds per game and for context the next closest player in the league is grabbing around four per game by the way do, do either of you know who that is Who's is that asar thompson it's rookie asar thompson yeah which is pretty impressive wow, on its wonderful own. guess uh what is it about Robinson's game that makes him this much better than anyone else at this specific skill? It's a great question. I've asked it to Tibbs many times. Um, his strength, his length, his anticipation, he's really relentless. Like he, mm. he does, he does the just tap it, keep it alive, keep it alive, keep it alive, yeah. keep tapping. Yeah. I remember there was a couple of years ago there was, and he's always been a legitimately great offensive rebounder, but it hasn't been this level. He led the league in offensive rebound rate last year. That was an 18% offensive rebound rate. It was a phenomenal number. It was the 12th best single season offensive rebound rate in the history of the NBA. A phenomenal offensive rebounding season. And this year, he's up to over 20% so far, which... Right now, he's just barely below Dennis Rodman's all-time single-season mm. record, which is its an insane start to a season. And offensive rebounding percentage is the percentage of your team's misses that you get when you're on the floor. So like his offensive rebounding percentage on the season is higher than like five teams' offensive rebounding percentage. What makes him so good at it, he's so incredible with his second jump, I think, is a big part of it. So when he's doing that tap, tap, tap thing, he's just getting back up quicker than the next guy. He's really become great at, at carving out space down low, blocking out a million guys. His arms are so long. And a couple of years ago, he came into camp. He had had off-season surgery, and he came into camp too heavy. And I don't think he was fat. His mission over the summer was like he was going to put on bulk and muscle. He was like trying to bulk up because he he had had he had an ankle or foot surgery, and he couldn't really do cardio. And so he was like, I don't want to get out of shape, so I'm going to you know work out a lot. But he couldn't run because he was you know wearing a boot and whatever. And he got too big, and I think it affected his athleticism. It it affected his his quickness, and then. All of a sudden, the next year, he slims down a little bit, but he kind of realized during that season, like, well, you know what? If I'm this big, like, I could, I can guard guys like Joel Embiid. So what if I just find my medium? And all the players are talking about how he is in the best shape he's ever been in now. And he's kind of found that medium where when he first came in the league, he was really skinny and he was this bouncy, skinny, kind of Nick's Cla Nick Claxton like sort of center. And mm -hmm. now he's just this physical dominant sort like force who has the athleticism to pair with it. And uh, he's, he's become a heck of a player. I mean, I, I think he's really become a heck of a player. He's, he's, he's been one of the most important players this year. 
So Fred, thinking ahead, and when I was when you think of the Knicks of the past, you think of somebody who's trying to take a big swing, like all the time, like trying to get a big name. We haven't heard much of that recently. But how motivated do you think the Knicks front office is to like use some of the extra picks that they have and like movable pieces to upgrade the roster like soon? What are your thoughts on that? We'll define upgrade the roster because there are different levels of upgrading the roster. Sure. Like a, like a meaningful, like, Hey, now the Knicks are in a new tier because they've made this deal. Yeah. I mean, that's what they've been waiting on. So I think there's a ton of urgency to make that. I also think the organization doesn't expect a player of that level to become available until next summer, the earliest, Mm -hmm. whether it's Joel Embiid or somebody else. But I mean, look, like, We keep talking about, is Joel Embiid going to be available? And you keep wondering, okay, if Joel Embiid wants out, might he want the Knicks? There are all these murmurs that he might want the Knicks if he at once out. But right now he doesn't want out. He loves the idea of, you know, having a single team legacy. He loves Philly. He loves the Sixers. Meanwhile, the Sixers are the best record in the conference right now. He's playing as well as he ever has. Why are we so convinced that Randall, that, uh, that Randall, that uh, that Embiid is just going to say that he wants out after this year. That team's still good, and they're going to yeah. have some flexibility. So I, I, I don't know who it's going to be. There's always some star who becomes available. It's the mm-hmm. NBA, but I think they're more anticipating that happens next summer. That being said, I'm keeping my eye on the Raptors, mm-hmm. who no one knows what the hell they're. No one ever knows what the Raptors are going to do because they'll call you mm-hmm. up. They'll be like, hey, we're thinking about shopping this guy. And then you'll be like, oh, okay, give us two seconds. Let us talk and we'll call you back. And you call him back. And then they're like, what are you talking about? That guy's not available. And then the next day they'll be like, oh, uh, you know, uh, were you still interested in this guy? We're just circling back. And they'll be like, what? You said he's not available. And they're like, no, he's available now. And then call back and be like, yeah, okay, that's fine. But um, can you send us your Netflix password along with 17 first round picks? And and they're like my Netflix password. That's also my Gmail password. I don't want you getting into my email. And it just this is how it tends to go. So I, you know, Siakam's an upcoming free agent, and OG Ananobi's an upcoming free agent. And I know the yep. Knicks and people in that front office have really liked OG Ananobi for a while. I know that they called Toronto about him leading into last year's trade deadline. I know they made an offer that was like a real offer, and Toronto was like no. Um, and so. As, as they were with other teams. Like, Toronto has gotten real offers for OG. And I also know that Toronto, as we've seen with Kyle Lowry, as we've seen with Fred Van Vliet, Toronto, even if even if the team is totally unremarkable, Toronto is willing to be like, nah, we'll just, we'll just let you walk. Just go away. You can go. So, so maybe that happens with Ananobi or Siakam. I, I just, I don't know. I have no idea, which is exactly why I'm keeping an eye on on that team in particular, especially because I know the Knicks like Ananobi. And also, like, that's the dude who, amongst non-star caliber players, like, that is the dude they need, you know? They need someone who can guard big wings, can play the three and the four. Randall is their only real four. Gives them extra size. They have a bunch of guards, six five and under. Like gives them size, gives them strength, gives them a little creation off the dribble, gives them a real one-on-one defensive presence with size. Like that, that is that is a great fit for them. So that's something I'm keeping an eye on. But 
for now, it's just like legitimately me keeping an eye. There's nothing mm -hmm. there. Well, Fred, thank you for answering all of our questions about the Knicks, but it is now time to play Andrew versus the Beat, our weekly trivia show where Andrew goes head-to-head -head against an NBA beat writer this week, Fred Katz, beat writer for The Athletic. Now, Andrew has started the season off 0-3. I see people on the, uh, on the message boards uh, questioning whether Andrew's washed. Is he washed? Is he a washed king? We'll see. Uh, I, looked, uh, this I was definitely washed last week. It was so bad. I, I just I just want to say, every time I come on this podcast, I love you both. And I love listening to this segment. And it's great podcasting. But my anxiety is through the roof during this podcast. Because <laughs> I'm just certain that anytime I get something wrong, it's going to discredit anything I've ever said about the Knicks. And That's how it works. Is, yep. It's just <laughs> that awful. That is the you, segment. <laughs> you guys are like, why don't we have a professional on? We'll, we'll get them to tell tell us everything he knows and then we're just gonna spend the rest of the time embarrassing him and then get yeah, we're gonna yep. undercut everything you just said <laughs> by making you answer these <laughs> trivia questions uh okay we're so about to find out works. if anything you said is worth anything <laughs> hey you know it's the start of the week it's the start of the week so yeah. <laughs> it's not like the beginning of the now. week yeah. Uh, so we have eight questions all about the Knicks. Some are easy, some are hard. Some are impossible, in my opinion. Uh, you will choose a number between one and eight, correspond to a question. And uh, where would you like to start? Fred, any number? Eight. Question number eight. Mitchell Robinson currently leads the Knicks in total rebounds, total steals, and total blocks. There are three other players in the NBA currently doing the same for their teams. Who are they? And you get one point per correct answer. So oh, these geez. are players around the league who are leading their teams in total rebounds, steals, and blocks. Wow. Total. That's really hard. It is. Total rebounds, steal. Do I have to get all three? No, you could just get one, get a point, and be happy. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's run through. Am I allowed to look at teams to remind, like the standings, to remind myself of the teams sure. that exist? Yeah, okay. you can you can remind yourself what teams exist in the NBA. I don't see a problem with that. <laughs> Otherwise, I forget about teams, teams that exist. Rebounds, steals, and blocks. Yeah. yeah. All right. Rebounds. I'm gonna steals, guess. Mm. I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess Giannis. Giannis Antetokounmpo. That is incorrect. Andrew, Seriously. Look, you have a chance Brooke to steal. Brooke Lopez having, oh having eight gosh. blocks in a game really annihilated it. I was thinking Brooke wasn't blocking as many shots to start the game. Uh, this is hard because all, all three is tough. Like I can Embiid is one, but I don't think he would have the most steals mm. on the Sixers. So I don't know that that's right. Um, I also like think about Chet, but I don't think Chet has the most steals on the Thunder either. Mm. I also think about Draymond, but I don't know that Draymond has... He probably doesn't even lead the team in, with the most rebounds because he hasn't played enough. God. Mm, this is a ridiculous question. No, it's not. Completely valid. This is, this is one of the impossible ones. <laughs> yeah, this feels impossible. 
What about what about Wimby? Andrew, that is correct for one yes. point. Wimby. Victor Wimbanyama. Um, Victor Wimbanyama. Um, what? Whoa! Well, what about Asar Thompson? Andrew, that is also correct. Yes. For another point. Asar Thompson. Oh. And you get the Two third rookies. name. Third name. Third name. What about Bam Adebayo? <gasps> Andrew. That's that's is that it? That's, oh dang no, it! No, that's incorrect. <laughs> uh, I the reason I a- asked this question is because I like the answers. I thought they were so interesting. I'm, it's I'm sensing a theme. I'm sensing a theme, and I feel like the third one's going to be Chet, and it's just all rookies. It's not no, all I don't rookies. Think it's Chet. I don't think he one, has. A, I don't think he has a steal as, as much. It's another steals. fun one, which is Scotty Barnes, which makes. Oh, oh yeah. man, it. I should have gotten that one too because I talk that. about him in our first segment. Yeah. Ah. All right, great start, Andrew, and you have control of the board. Uh, Number one. Julius Randle and Mitchell Robinson are both averaging double-digit rebounds through eight games. The last time two teammates played at least half their team's games and averaged double-digit rebounds was in the 2017-18 season when these two Western Conference bigs accomplished the feat. Who are they? 2017-18. Western Conference bigs. Western Conference oh my bigs. Gosh. Two double digit bounders. Uh 17, 18. Two Western Conference bigs. That's not. No, this is not right. I don't I don't know that I I don't it think could I be. know this. It could be. You never know. I mean, it's definitely not. Um, <laughs> God. I will say you guys picked the two hardest questions to start. Yeah, the, <laughs> this feels impossible. <laughs> Is this like... I'm trying to think who played with Gobert in 2017-18. No, that would not have been it. Gosh. I just don't even know, Al. Like, I don't even know that I have a guess for you. Wow. Uh, Fred, do you have any guesses? Do I have any guesses? I have narrowed it down. 17, 18. 15 teams. 17, 18. It's not Cantor and Adams because that was the year that Cantor went to the Knicks. Yeah. Trying to remember what happened in 2017, 18. This was uh, PG, was PG, and year? Mellow. Oh, hmm? Anthony Davis to Marcus Cousins. That is absolutely correct. Uh, All right. Wow. That's That's a, a good one. start. You guys got good points from back. the two hardest questions, and Fred, you have control of the board. Can't, can't. Honestly, did not remember until just now that Demarcus Cousins even. <laughs> played for the Pelicans. And the only reason I got that right is because Andrew texted me yesterday that Rachel Nichols and DeMarcus Cousins are having a podcast. And we were like, Ooh. this seems like seems like a podcast mad lib. We're like, what a <laughs> if I told you that Rachel Nichols and DeMarcus Cousins had a podcast five years ago, 
Like, what is happening? Where that? How that happens? Yeah. When so you said that, I thought mind. you said Rachel Ray, and I was like, "Whoa, that really is a wild combo." That would be. I'd wild. be way. More, I would be way more into that. I think. Do you think? Do you think a Demarcus Cousins Rachel Ray podcast would be more likely to be about basketball or food? It, it's got to be a YouTube show. There's got to be video. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe, maybe they're cooking while they're talking ball. You know. I work. think that's a much better show idea. Right there. I mean that I would watch that. Yeah, just like Rachel Ray making amazing food and Demarcus Cousins being really enthusiastic about Re- it. Reacting to the food? Yeah. Who wouldn't yeah. want that? Okay, all right, we got to go on. Okay, number three. Question number three. R.J. Barrett is off to a great start this season, as we mentioned, averaging a career high twenty-two point three points per game. Only one Nick in franchise history averaged more points per game in a season before turning twenty-four years old. Who was that Nick? Before turning 24. What'd you say the number was he was at right now again? Uh, 22.3 points per game. So somebody oh, else averaged more than that. Before I the can't age. remember if Chris Tapps got above that number. I, he averaged 22 something. And I don't remember if Chris Tapps got to that. I'm going to say Chris Tapps. Fred? That is correct for two points. Wow. Wow. Okay, Andrew, you're now behind three to two. You do have control Mm. of the board. Number two. Question number two. Julius Randle is currently shooting 32%, as I mentioned, on 17 field goal attempts per game. Now, normally, you'd have to go back to the 1950s to find a player who shot that poorly on that volume of attempts. But luckily for Randle, there's another player this season shooting under 35% on 17 attempts per game. Who is it? Oh my gosh! Under thirty, under thirty-five percent, seventeen attempts. Uh, my my brain goes to the Wizards immediately, but I don't know <laughs> if that's um, if that's right or not. It feels like a Wizardsy thing. 17 attempts is a lot. Under 35%. I don't... Gosh, I don't know who that would be. Is it LaMelo? That is incorrect, Andrew. Fred, you had a shot. Alex, when did you come up with this question? I came up with it two nights ago. Okay, so then, so then I, I don't know how he had a big game last night. So I don't mm. know how this affects his percentages, but I'm going to guess Trey <gasps> Young. Oh it man, that's Young. it. That's it. I didn't, what? I, I just I didn't saw want to him. I just it. saw him be so bad in Oklahoma City. I just watched it. <laughs> yeah, I as I was ask, asking the question, I was like, oh wait, uh. he played last night. What is he at now? He's now at thirty five point six. So I didn't. Want okay, to we'll count it. We'll count it. No, yeah, we'll, we'll count it. It, it yeah, was right no, there. No, no, it was in the counts. answer. Why did? Why? I, why didn't I get that? I'm so mad at myself. I don't know. Uh, Fred, four to two I like, now. I like that. I like that you hear terrible, selfish, inefficient basketball, and everyone's like, "What about the Wizards?" Uh, hmm, number what six. Are doing? <laughs> Question number, number six. six. Last season, Jalen Brunson averaged a career high six assists per game. Now, that number might not seem impressive, but he's one of only 15 New York Knicks in franchise history to average at least six assists per game, and we're going to name them all. So how this works, 
Fred, you'll give me a name. Andrew will give me a name. We'll go back and forth until one of you stumbles. So these are players in Knicks history who have averaged at least six assists per game. I will tell you, oh the minimum gosh. games played for any of these guys was like 37. So there's no guys who just played like two games and average a bunch of assists. Okay. So Fred, uh, you like this, this is like full-on Stump the Schwab. Uh, this is Schwab style. This is Schwab style. Okay, uh, Marbury. Stefan Marbury, that is correct. Andrew. Walt Frazier. Walt Frazier, that is correct. Back to Fred. Raymond Felton. Raymond Felton, the thick daddy. Yes, that is correct. Back to Andrew. Raymond Felton. Holy smokes. Um, Nick's point guard is, is a rough position to play. Um, oh, what about Mark Jackson? Mark Jackson, that is correct, Andrew. All right, you've gotten four of the 15. Back to Fred. Yeah, Mark Jackson's a good one. Um, I'm trying to think of like any of the old school guys did it, like like Richie Guerin. Or if like Michael Michael Ray Richardson must have done it. Oh, you know who I know did it? I'm just so I'm just gonna say it. Uh Chris mm. Duhan. Chris Duhan did do it. Chris Duhan. Gosh. That's <laughs> that's a poll. I'll I'll use one of Fred's names that he just said that he didn't use, Michael Ray Richardson. Andrew, very smart play by you. That is correct. Why? Why did I just give him the names? <laughs> I don't I don't know why he did that. That was like <laughs> that was such a dumb thing to do. I kind of just forgot what was happening. If someone did that on Stump the Schwab, <laughs> be like, what a what a moron. What an idiot. <laughs> All right. Yeah, because so, uh, I think I'm, I'm out gonna, of names now. <laughs> really, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spread I'm with gonna the assist. Back, I'm gonna reach back to our grand. Mm. Yeah, when I need five more to get my name on the list. I I'm gonna reach back to our to the time of our grandparents, and I'm gonna say okay. uh, Richie Guerin. Richie Guerin. I'm glad you said it because if Andrew had stolen it, it would have been correct. So now Andrew, it's back to you. You can't use Richie Guerin, which was the other name Fred said. Oh my gosh. Any other names, Andrew? New York Knicks averaging at least six assists per game for a season. Did Mo Cheeks do it? Andrew? That is incorrect. Uh, the other names, the names you could have gotten, Andrew. Julius Randle yeah. did it. Alfred Payton did it. And Jeremy Lin did it. Oh, then we Jeremy go back Lin. a little bit further. Oh, uh, Chris oh. Childs, Gerald Henderson, Rory Sparrow. Then you go back a little longer. Ray Williams, a.k.a. Crazy Eddie. Dick McGuire, a.k.a. Slick Dick. And Howard Comives, a.k.a. Howard. He didn't have a nickname. <laughs> wait, wait, was Dick McGuire's nickname Slick Dick? He actually has multiple nicknames that involve... Or did you make that up? Dick. <laughs> no, uh, no, I would never make that up. Uh, let's, let's look at Dick McGuire's. <laughs> okay, all of his names are... Tricky Dick, Dick the Nick, Slick Dick, and Dicky. <laughs> oh, that's Dick, awesome. Dick, Dick the Nick. Dick the Nick. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, okay, Andrew, you are behind. Where would you like yeah, to go? This is not good. This is not good. Four. Question number four. 
Mitchell Robinson leads the league with 6.3 offensive rebounds per game. What is Robinson's single game career high in offensive rebounds? And you get to choose who answers first. So you can make Fred answer first and you can go higher or lower or you can answer first and Fred will go higher or lower. However, if Fred gets it exactly correct, Andrew, he will get a bonus point. So be careful. 11. 11 is the number. Fred, would you like to go higher or lower than 11? Is it just regular season or does it include playoffs? Uh, it does include playoffs, yeah. It does include playoffs. I I think it's exactly 11. Well, you you, <laughs> you have to choose higher or lower. No. <laughs> so that's well, great that you um, think that, but... but uh, <laughs> I'm going to choose lower. I'm going to choose lower. Okay, well, unfortunately for you, that is incorrect. Because once upon a time, I think it was last March or something, he got 14 in a game. Oh, I remember that. I was there. Yeah, that <laughs> I was there. Why didn't I go higher? That was dumb. I was like, I think it was 11. He got 11 in a in a playoff game against the Cavs, and I was thinking that was the most ever. I forgot about the 14. 14 is that wild. Why? That was Gosh. insane game. That was 14. Holy smokes. Um, that was <laughs> that a nice was let me see. Let me see what the score. It's six to four. Now we have one question left. Uh, Andrew, you, you can't make it up, but uh, for for dramatic purposes, let's pretend you can. You can't. Okay. You lost. Okay, Fred. First dibs on this last question. Which of the following is not an official basketball reference nickname for one of the current New York Knicks? Five names are Arch of Dimes, the Big Ragu, Blockness Monster, Big Balls. And Beyblade. Once again, that is Arch of Dimes, the Big Ragu, Blockness Monster, Big Balls, and Beyblade. All right. The Bay Blockness Blade. Monster is, is Mitchell Robinson. Okay. Uh, Arch of Dimes has got to be Ryan Archie Diagono. Uh, <laughs> the Big Ragu. You know, I'm terrible with nicknames. And I'm terrible with jersey numbers, but I know the Big Ragu is somebody. Hmm. Uh, and then, oh, that might be DiVincenzo. The big ragu is somebody. And what were the last two? The last two, big balls and Beyblade. Big balls. Oh my God. If so, dude, if, if, if someone's nickname on basketball reference is big balls, you know, there's a 100% chance I'm walking into that locker room at their next game and doing a story on what that guy thinks of his nickname being big balls. So, what what was the last one? Beyblade. Beyblade. Yeah, Beyblade. B a y. Like the, uh, like, space like the toy. Like, uh, yeah, like the toy. Like, Beyblades. You, you familiar with Beyblades? No, I've never heard of it in my life. Oh yeah, Beyblades are like super modern fun. day tops. Yeah, super tops fun. You battle them. Gotcha. They're cool. You have an arena. I mean, modern tops feel like i feel like big, <laughs> makes big them seem so lame gotta, I know like, like big balls is you wouldn't make that up like that that sounds too ridiculous you wouldn't make that up you would be like subtle like Beyblades. i, I mm. i'm gonna say i'm gonna say Beyblades. all right fred uh that is incorrect andrew you have a chance to steal one point that's right and not win well, Fred did a great job of whittling it all down for me. 
to two and you guessed the wrong one so i'm gonna say big balls okay andrew that is correct for one point yes. any guesses as oh. to who uh actually does have that nickname somebody on the, the knicks does have that nickname they did receive it at some point in their career it's just not an official basketball reference nickname you have any ideas who that might be big balls uh-huh. it was uh-huh. emmanuel quickly at the University oh. of Kentucky, John Calipari nicknamed him Big Balls. <laughs> Pretty great nickname. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it was Fred Katz, 6-5 to five over Andrew. Yeah. Andrew drops to 0-4 on the season. Bad. Thanks for playing. That's really bad. Uh, go check out all of Fred's work at The Athletic. Go listen to the Tampering Podcast, which drops every Thursday. Fred, thanks so much for coming on. I am thrilled to come on. It's a great way to start my week. And... Uh, <laughs> Can't wait to talk to you guys soon. Thanks, Fred. Okay, Andrew, that was Nick's week, which started on last Friday. It is now time to find out who will be the team for next week on this week's Wheel of Fandom. So we've got, uh, how many teams we got left here? 27. 27 teams, a lot of options. Let's spin that wheel and see who we get. This week's Wheel of Fandom team will be the Brooklyn Nets. Oh, right when Cam Thomas is out for two weeks. I know, weeks I was going to say. an ankle sprain. This is, we get the Brooklyn Nets. We were cursed before the wheel even landed here. The Brooklyn Nets. Uh, okay. Well, Mike Smeltz. At least we get to talk to Mike Smeltz. I was going to say, Mike Smeltz better get himself ready for a uh, Brooklyn Nets Slam and Jam pod, the glue guys and let, Slam let and Jam. Anything good this week? For? Let me see who they're playing this week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So they've got, oh, tonight at the Celtics on ESPN. Then uh, the Wizards, you, your favorite team. Let's go. Uh, on Sunday. There we go. Great. Uh, Orlando on Tuesday okay. at home. Those are both home games. And then finishing up NBA TV on Thursday night against Miami. Oh, at Miami. Okay. Those are some games that the Nets play in. Those are some games. Uh, hey. If, a lot of Southeast teams. If you will leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we'll read it on the show. Uh, this one comes from Train Fan 2020 Train Fan says, love it. Amazing. Five stars. Thank you so much for that review. Again, leave us a review, and we'll read it on the show. Hope you guys have an awesome weekend. Enjoy the basketball, and we will talk to you guys again next Friday.